And if you want to talk about a piece of evidence for defunding, it's Mo Tesfe. The videos of all these cops, 11, 12 cops descending on that business, interrupting it, questioning patrons, going into the kitchen. Taxpayers shouldn't be paying for that kind of policing. They should be defunded. That whole unit should be wiped out. Hi, I'm Omar Salafu, and you're listening to Is This For Real? Breaking the Blue Wall, a podcast project about anti-black racism and policing in Edmonton. The voice you heard at the beginning of the show is Tom Engel. We're living in a moment where some people might be new to the fight against anti-black racism and police misconduct. That isn't the case for everyone, though. One Edmonton lawyer has waged a war against bad cops in this city for over 20 years. And that simple fact is actually really weird if you know anything about lawyers in Edmonton. I met up with lawyer Avnish Nanda on the steps in front of my house to talk about Tom Engel. When I was approached for this project by Avnish, we like talked about it on Twitter. We figured it out and um, Tom's name came up pretty quickly. And when it, he came up, you said, you know, this guy is a really weird guy. Why did you say Tom is a, is a weird guy? Okay, so uh, Tom Engel is this force of nature. He's this enigma. He's this misunderstood character that for the longest time, Tom was viewed as a pariah by many uh, in the bar. I, I, I remember when I started my career and I was obviously interested in the same things. And you'd have these big firm lawyers and others kind of just talk derisively about Tom, like, oh, that guy. You know, always, you know, representing these folks, bringing every sort of argument that he can think of, you know, stymieing our efforts to kind of push cases along. This stuff is without merit, et cetera, et cetera. But as I started practicing this area of law, I began to realize that what Tom does is a public service. And Tom will do this work, often for free, and he'll see it through to the end. He's done and seen so much. And when I say he's weird, I, I just... I mean that in the sense of how he approaches it. Uh, without Tom Engel, I don't know what would, what would police accountability look like uh, in Edmonton, let alone Alberta. For this episode, we're going to explore two stories of how Edmonton police conduct has harmed black people in our city. We're also going to explore the current rules under the legal system that govern police accountability and oversight in Alberta. There's only really one person who can break down these ideas for me. So I visited his downtown office a few blocks away from City Hall and the Provincial Court of Alberta. Anyway, uh, no video, right? No, no, no. Okay, no, so no. I can, okay, I'm just going to get a coffee. You, are you good? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Okay. Or if you have any coffee, I, I You want a coffee? Yeah, sure. Yeah, what are you taking it? Just black. Just okay. Black. It's great, yeah, thank you. Uh, I can tell you I, I got uh, interested in the issue of state abuse in general of people who have come into contact with the police or the criminal justice system. Around just before 2000, there were a lot of problems that were coming to light in terms of the Edmonton Police Service officers abusing people. Notorious case, I think there were some Central American immigrants who had been arrested by some police officers and told to face the wall this wasn't my case, so this is by memory, but face the wall. And what the police did was broke their fingers 
when their their hands were behind their back, and it was a, a pretty huge scandal. So then we had a uh, a criminal trial lawyers association dinner meeting, and people were talking about Edmonton police service officers abusing people, and the discussion was, you know, we should do something about it. What Tom did about it was form the Criminal Trial Lawyers Association Policing Committee in 2000. He's still the chair of that committee 20 years later. And so I just started raising these issues in defense of my clients and brought charter applications. And through the policing committee, we started to get very interested in policing issues, police governance, what can we do to improve it. We had a media strategy, still do. The public has to be educated about this because I learned early on that governments won't respond to these types of concerns when it comes to police officers, not politically popular, uh, unless there's public pressure to change. When the public gets up in arms about this sort of thing, we're seeing it right now happening around the world, and it's happening in Canada as well. That's sort of my career development. The reason why Avnish might have thought it's weird, it's because there's not a lot of lawyers who do this kind of work this way. You know, I, I get calls from people who say, well, my lawyer told me to call you to get your help. Why? Well, because the cops beat me up. I say, well, is this your criminal defense lawyer? <clears throat> yes. I said, well, what's your criminal defense lawyer doing about it? Well, he just told me he doesn't do that sort of thing and to call you. Well, my view is any criminal defense lawyer has to do that sort of thing because it's part of defending your client. Why don't they do that kind of thing? Well, I don't know why they don't do that sort of thing. I, I, you know, I have uh, certain theories and uh, some lawyers think that it will inhibit their advancement in their career if they start complaining too much about the police. You know, it's politically unpopular, might not get appointed as a judge because it's different and they don't know how to do it. I know I've heard uh, some lawyers say, if I piss off the cops, it's going to be harder to make deals because sometimes lawyers will talk to the cops and try to sell a deal before they go to the Crown Prosecutor. You know, that's on the, like the day of trial when the cops are there. Tom has paid the price before for being a police watchdog. When he began working to defend victims of police misconduct in the early 2000s, the Edmonton Police Service started filing dozens of complaints against Tom to the Alberta Law Society, the governing body that regulates and sets standards for lawyers in Alberta. It was just like, you see a letter come in from the Law Society, oh, another one, new file, and I'm pretty sure that over the years it's well over 30. Uh, complaints against me uh, to the law society initiated by the police. If you look at the history in Canada and elsewhere of what happens if you're a police critic, this is not novel. If what Tom said about politicians is true, that they only care about public outrage, today's story about a black Edmonton business owner should probably make a few politicians care. The business owner is Mo Tesfe. Mo was born and raised in Ethiopia and came to Canada almost 30 years ago. In Ethiopia, Mo's dad was an aircraft technician. So after high school, Mo continued the family tradition in Canada 
and study the trade in college. Mo decided to take things a step further and enlisted in the Canadian Air Force. He served as a soldier for more than two decades and deployed in Afghanistan in 2006 and 2011. He retired from his career in the military and opened Niala, a shisha bar in downtown Edmonton near Chinatown. Shisha or hookah lounges are a centuries-old tradition found in North Africa and the Middle East. These lounges serve as community gathering spaces and hold cultural significance. I hopped on the bus and went to Niala to hear Mo's story myself. I went to college for aircraft maintenance engineer and I graduated there and uh, I enjoyed 1997 Canadian Air Force. The last 20 years and that was Canadian Air Force and Canadian Army. After that, I start uh, the business after I retired from the military. Did you have a specific goal when you came to this country? No, when I moved here, I didn't have no family. So I used to live in, before I came here, I used to live in uh, Italy, Rome. So for two years. And then I met uh, this Canadian family. Uh, they used to live in uh, London, Ontario. So I got a sponsor. They sponsored me and then I moved down here. So uh, at that time, I had uh, three choices one United States and Australia, but I chose Canada, so I heard it's one of the best country in the world, so <laughs> here you go, I'm here. What was life like um, after you left the military? Yeah, after I left my military, it was uh, worse than my life, I can say, because I had this uh, experience uh, through my uh, business and the deal with the Edmonton police officers and Edmonton City. 2015, I have good relation with the Edmonton police. So uh, they became more uh, kind of a friend, a friendly relationship. And then after uh, 2015, 2016, it became more uh, unfriendly relationship. Because when they start abusing all the customers, they start asking all ID for 50 years old and 55 years old. Most of the customers, older people. Then I step out and I ask them, why you guys doing this one? And then they said, uh, well, that's our job, so that's not your business. What, what would they do to people? You mentioned, you know, they're checking IDs. What else are they doing? How are they making yeah, people feel? They're checking ID and they, uh, they arrest, and they arrest them from inside the bar. And they put them in the handcuff, and they take them outside, and they release them outside. So he ask them, what's the reason? They say, oh, this guy's not supposed to be in the bar. Well, if he's a criminal, so I put him in jail. So there is no point, you have to take them up from the, the bar and take them outside and release them. It doesn't make sense. So if you think this guy is criminal, then put him in jail, you know? So, so some of the things he tells you, that it doesn't make sense. So that's why our relationship between me and the police became more just not friendly after that. So. And so when things started to become worse, what did you feel like you could do about it? What I did is uh, I emailed to the, the chief, you know, the chief, the surgeon. That time, uh, the chain of command for that police department, public safety compliance team, I emailed them and said, listen, the police officer, what they do, this is not pro proper. Uh, they go through all the washroom and uh, the kitchen and they ask all the customer harassment and I need to talk to you guys. So that's not right. Then the surgeon, I don't want to mention his name, but 
he responded to me he said okay we're gonna we're gonna work together then i said okay and then i've been waiting for that and nothing happened the abusement and the harassment became more continuously then i talked to the lawyer and uh, i said listen i have some problem he said okay we're gonna do the first step and i asked him i don't want to come complain but I wanted to be a mediator just want to work with the police so I don't want to jump on direct to the the complaint so I put that letter to talk to the police first and then they came back they don't want to talk to me and they don't want to talk to the community and I got the letter from them and say okay I'm trying to work with you guys you guys don't want to work with me I say no yeah they don't want to talk to me then I said okay so the next step was to complain so I put complaint. In Alberta, the police are ruled by a provincial law called the Police Act. The Act is a 60-page document that outlines everything from rules against civilians impersonating the police to the oath that cadets take before becoming cops. It also fully details the protocol that Edmonton Police has to follow for public complaints and disciplinary action against police officers. The Police Act, the the legislation itself, there's a lot of things that are right about it. One thing that's right about it is is the mechanism for making a complaint. You make the complaint, the chief has to cause it to be investigated. Then it gets investigated. Then eventually there's a decision being made. If the complainant doesn't like the decision, the complainant can appeal to the Law Enforcement Review Board, which is an independent oversight agency, which has no police officers. Then they make a decision, and if you don't like that decision, you can go to the Court of Appeal. The problem is that the investigations are in the hands of police, and it's only the most serious incidents that get investigated by ACERT. One of the problems with ACERT, one of points of disagreement is that they're all, all their investigators are ex-cops or cops who've been loaned to ACERT to investigate. The problem with the Alberta Serious Incident Response Team, or ACERT, and the Edmonton Police Service's investigations into police misconduct don't stop at clear conflict of interest when cops investigate cops. ACERT also struggles with a lack of government funding. The provincial government is not giving enough money to the Edmonton Police Service to properly run their complaint investigations. It wasn't high on any government's agenda. The progressive conservatives, the NDP, now the UCP, I don't think it's high on their agenda to give more money to police, service, police services to run police act investigations. If money for police misconduct investigations is the problem, the solution might be found in the Edmonton Police Service's $356 million budget and how they choose to spend the tax money they get every year. Divert money from this part of your budget to this part of your budget. Mm. They don't need a new uh, canine training facility. They don't need that. The EPS is winning all kind of awards with their uh, dog training. I got big problems with dogs, by the way, but they, they win all of these awards. Why do they need a new facility? They don't need that. Why do they need a new tactical unit? They don't need that. Why do they need this hospitality unit? What a bizarre name for this. I mean, they weren't being very hospitable to Motesve or their or the customers, right? What do they need that unit for? Disband them. Take that money 
put it somewhere else. We are over-policed that way. So there's lots of opportunities to, to divert money into more important things, like investigating complaints. Now, even if these institutions had funding to investigate police misconduct effectively, problems with the police not following their own rules in most cases are obvious to Tom, because he briefly worked as Moe's lawyer against the city and the police. It was flat-out harassment, I think, of, of his business. It'd be really hard to say it wasn't flat-out racist. They flat-out had it in for him. They wanted to shut down his business. And Mo made complaints. I think that the uh, Edmonton Police Service receiving these complaints, they ju- well, they just ignored them. They didn't, they didn't follow the police act. They were required to cause it to be investigated. They were supposed to give him uh, notices every 45 days about the status of the investigation. They just ignored it. Didn't do anything. And I think, I think he wound up accumulating about three or four complaints where they weren't doing a damn thing. So when I got a hold of that, I obviously demanded that they, they start investigating these things, and, and, uh, and they're, they're still investigating it. Mo had to learn the hard way, way that, that there was no reasoning with, with the particular uh, police officers he was dealing with. So that complaint didn't work anything. Then the first thing after I complained within two days, I got arrested. So uh, they started retaliation right away. So they arrested me right in front of the customer outside. They put me in handcuff and uh, put me in jail for 24 hours. And then we ask them, what's the reason you have to uh, arrest me and uh, put me in jail? Said, my route is from Africa. My background is from Africa, so I'm a flight risk. So they think I'm going to escape for uh, not even $5,000 charge. So I'm a business owner. At that time, I was military and I own my own house and my own building. But still, I'm flight risk for less than $5,000 charge. Then next thing, what I know is all the tickets start coming up. Every time they come twice in a week, three times a week, sometimes 10 police officers sometimes up to 20 police officers. You see that this area look like war zone. The whole police officer, like three, five patrols. It's just unbelievable. Mo took extensive video of all his interaction with police at the bar. Here are a few of those interactions. In the video you're hearing, a group of police officers is inspecting Mo's kitchen and saying that they're just checking to make sure that his business can operate as a restaurant. The video you're hearing now is Mo talking with police officers about a customer outside his bar. And just for your records, there's a guy who is super hammered and wasted out of his he's mind. He's just he's so not you know. sick, he's drunk. And his friend said he doesn't know about, he couldn't handle the Hennessy. So, yeah. Pardon me? Until this whole thing happened, there is nothing, not even a single fight on my bar. But they all give excuse, was the shooting on the other side 101, they were shooting outside, and they said, did you guys charge? No. Did you guys have anybody on arrest? No. So they just, someone told them there is a shooting. That's the excuse they have. So they asked all my neighbors, and my neighbors didn't say anything. 
So everything what happened in the criminal downtown area, they attached to Nihala. Did they have any evidence or, you know, photos, pictures, anything to prove that there people were doing things? There is no zero, zero evidence that someone came from Nihala and shooting outside. They said, oh, someone told them he came from Nihala. Or someone said, told them, oh, he came from Nihala and started shooting. And there is another shooting uh, by 109. And that they said, oh, their customer came from Nihala. So every, everything when they see black people come from Nihala. Because this is like original African bar. So they've been giving almost like hundred something thousand dollar ticket for the last three years. So the tickets are unbelievable. It's important to note that allegations made by the city and the police against Mo rarely were based in hard evidence to justify all the searches, tickets, and efforts to close his business. The media in Edmonton covered Mo's story, and here's what the city and the police had to say. The city claims that they went after Mo because of alleged breaches to business license conditions against Niala. These license conditions include adding more security and limiting capacity. The city said breaches raised public safety concerns. Mo represented himself in court and had most of the nearly 60 bylaw tickets against him either dismissed or ruled in his favor. Another incident was brought up by the city as a reason to close down Niala. The incident happened during a community meeting when a delivery man threatened someone with a gun. Two days after the incident, the police questioned Mo about the gun used in the incident they were now trying to find. The cops charged Mo with obstructing a peace officer and claimed he was lying about knowing the location of the gun. After a five-day trial, Mo was acquitted of all charges against him in that case. Police said Mo disregarded safety conditions and wouldn't comply after receiving tickets. The Edmonton police said they decided to shut down Mo's business to avoid, quote, tying up provincial court resources and the financial cost to taxpayers in Edmonton to prosecute such a volume of trials, end quote. So they, they couldn't close me down. Then they went to the city, they put all this falsely allegation about the, the, the customer, about me, about the place, about the community. They, they put like too much false allegation to the city and the city trying to shut down. So they called the press conference and Niala completely shut down because of this criminal record. Then they found out the, the, paper, the paperwork I didn't receive it. And they opened it after they give a press conference and they call all these media like completely like a, a big uh, gang place they shut it down you know so then the uh, next day within two days uh, the city called me say oh yeah because of a mistake so you can open your business again what happened after that and they reversed the decision i said okay and we're gonna close it down again but you have to apply to the city councillor and then i said okay so they opened my business within the two days and then they gave me another eight, is that 14 days to appeal. So I appealed to the city uh, councillor. So I went to the city councillor and I provide all my, uh, my evidence as about Niala. They provide a lot of evidence. They said a lot of evidence, false allegation. And all my neighbor was there. All my customer was there. And the city councillor, I look at it, everything. And they said, no, we're not going to close this place. So I won that case. 
how did you feel personally going through these situations? I can't imagine how stressful it must have been having to deal with this stuff. The first time that destroyed me, I can't even trust the police anymore. Even if it's a good police officer, still you have that mentality. You don't trust them. Just it's going to take time at least to trust one of them. So I, I, I feel like m most of them pretty much the same because nobody even step up and uh, they say, well, this is not the right thing, you know? Everybody was supporting each other. So 10 police officers, when they came here, they should, uh, one of them, they should ask, why are we here? You know, none of them, they ask that. Well, we're going uh, where the crime is. So what's the crime is? When you hang out, a lot of black people, all the crime is, that's what they think. So I just, uh, <laughs> the way I, oh man, I can't even, I don't, I don't even have words to explain that one. Well, I closed my business uh, uh, because they destroyed all the businesses. They gave all bad name on it and, you know, so all the customers start running away. And so I closed it almost a year ago. I used to say my young brother, say, oh, the police pulled me over and they asked me ID, everything. I said, no, no, that's your fault. Always the police, right? That's what I was, I was thinking for a long time. Always I said that to my young brother. Say, oh, the police pulled me over today. They asked me for no reason, none of this. No, 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 that's your fault. Police doing the job. But he's right. The police, uh, they don't do the job. They just do a profile in most young black people, you know. And when all of this was happening, did you try to get help from city politicians? Did anyone do anything to help you? No, the city police, I talked to a member of parliament. He ignored it. And I talked to... The council, my ward, uh, McKean, he completely ignored it. I emailed him a couple times, ignored They don't, they don't, they don't want to do public this kind of stuff. They want to hide it on it. Why do you think they want to hide it? Yeah, because they want to be good, good guys. They want to show there is no racism, there is no discrimination in the city. It's the worst here. They just pretend, oh, this is a good place. If you go talk to every single African bar, they tells you what they've been through with the city. They they tells you how they got harassed by the police. It's not only me. I am the only one I stepped on the forward and I didn't care. I don't care about the police. I don't care. But these guys, they scare a lot. So they don't want to talk about it. Otherwise, if you ask them, they've been abused a lot. What inspired you to fight for this originally and keep fighting? You had you never gave up. You know, you went all the way through every single process and did it yourself when everyone else was too scared to do it. Why? Yeah, this, I think, uh, listen, I, fo I fought for this country. Mm -hmm. I fought, uh, the, the reason why I fought is just for our freedom, you know. So freedom is not only for white people, freedom is for black people too. I'm going to fight for it until the end, until I get justice. But what I want to see is, oh, I want to see the change. This is the time, actually. Unfortunately, the murder of George, it changed a lot of stuff. So, but this is the time we don't have to sit and to watch. So we have to make some change, especially the police department and the city. Do you think they're listening? Do you think they're going to change? They listen for a week and two weeks, but they're going to forget it. Because they never listen until now. Why they listen now? Because of George? So how many George has to die to listen to us? They're not going to listen, trust me. They're just going to say, okay, you know, every, every other city they do doing it and we have to do it for the, the same time. Then you see within one month or two months, uh, it's going to go back the same, the same way.
When talking with Mo about his story, I thought about the idea of the model minority. The term is usually used to describe Asian Americans in a stereotypical way and attributes their economic and academic success in America to these stereotypes. The stereotypes around being a model minority include being a polite, law-abiding citizen who simply wants to assimilate into white majority society and succeed in the right way. The term is also used against other races, like black people, to compare us to supposedly successful minority groups. It asks the question, why don't black people just become model minorities? And solves community problems by claiming that if black people just followed the rules like everyone else, they'd be as successful and treated like everyone else. In some ways, Mo fits into the criteria of a supposed model minority. He served in Canada's Air Force and was deployed to Afghanistan. He came back to Edmonton to open a business for his community. He initially worked with the police and gave them the benefit of the doubt when his relationship with them soured. After hearing it, I believe that Mo's story basically cancels the idea of the model minority. Because he was still targeted, despite his decisions in life. Individual actions or character don't matter if you live in a system that refuses to accept you or hold those who harm you accountable for their actions. Thank you for listening to Is This For Real? I want to thank Tom and Mo for sharing their stories with me. Thank you to everyone who supported the show on Patreon or otherwise. We really wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach out to me at O-U-M-A-R at isthisforreal.ca. But you don't feel it until you get it. That's a problem. So like I said, my, bro- my brother, when they always complaining, listen, this police officer harassed me, you know, they pulled me over, whatever. I said, no, that's your fault. Because he probably did something. The police is doing his job. I always say that to him. But now he, that's his turn. How's the police? They ask me, oh, I'm not saying I'm good. So you're right now. <laughs> <laughs> I always say, always say that. How's the police now? You like them? <laughs> so that's, that's, that's the truth. <laughs> so you have to listen to everybody. Don't just, just don't give an excuse because that's your fault, you know? So not everybody uh, using the race card. You got to start listening to people.